Hi, Veggie Mates. Welcome back to the Veg Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Davey, and this is episode number 78 with Carrington Kernodal of Parts Homegrown with Carrington. So, I am excited, nervous, and committed to be back in 2021. After a tough 2020, fear got the better of me, anxiety got the better of me, doubting myself was an everyday struggle comparison to others affected me. So despite all of these things kind of crippling me last year, I'm not going to let it stop me this year. Thanks for hanging around, being patient with me and helping me with your words of encouragement. So let's get on with it. This week's guest is Carrington Kernodal. She is a trained yoga instructor, outdoor enthusiast, mushroom fanatic and all round awesome human being. We chat about her experience in the year that was 2020, her yoga training and practice, her love for the outdoors, black representation in the spaces she currently works in, and much, much more. I must thank Carrington for her patience with me as this was a long time in the making. Please go and check out her page on Instagram. You can find her over at with Carrington, all one word. I'll chat with you all on the other side of this episode, folks. Hope you enjoy our conversation. All right. Welcome back to the Veg Talk podcast. Today we are with Carrington Kernodal. You're out in out on the East Coast. So thanks for joining us. It's getting it's getting later and darker out there. Uh, so I, I appreciate you coming on the show today, but welcome. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me. No worries at all. Yeah, it's um it's been a it's been a crazy kind of year, I suppose. The last uh, the last year we've had. You reached out to me. It was in 2020, and yeah, I certainly I wasn't going very through a very good time with the podcast. So I appreciate your patience uh, in waiting for me to reach out to you. And yeah, I'm I'm stoked to have you on the show. Yeah. Uh, 2020 was definitely a blur all those days <laughs> all those messages start to blend together for sure but I'm a firm believer that all good things take time so I was definitely um, not like worried I was just like oh if it happens it happens so how has it been out in Virginia um, with COVID and you know navigating the whole situation uh, you know what's it been like uh, it's been weird because I never stopped working. So I actually work for an engineering construction company. Um, so we were we do things like build hospitals, data centers, that type of stuff. And so at the time in which COVID took off, I was considered a essential worker. So I just never took a break, <laughs> actually. Um, there was a period in May in which I was in D.C. working to we were converting um, the convention center into a temporary COVID hospital. Um, and I was there for two weeks and that was quite draining and stressful. We were all working somewhere between 10 to 16 hours a day, um, trying to get that built very quickly. So I never had a, a break, but I am grateful that, you know, I got to keep my job, but wow, it was, it was a lot to you have to, and it still is to remember all like COVID protocols and still have to go to work and almost be like not in the same, I guess, like twilight zone as everybody else. Um, I, I, I saw my family pretty much the same amount as I normally do because I've always lived further away from them. Um, but definitely saw just no friends <laughs> at all. So that was, um, that kind of sucked a lot. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I feel that like the, the whole loss of community that aspect has been probably the toughest it's just not not being able to rely on your community or see your community as much as you're used to uh and i think as humans our nature is to be you know whether you're introverted or an extrovert community is still such an important part of our lives and to just have it kind of cut off uh, really has been yeah a, a difficult a difficult thing to navigate and yeah continuing yeah. to do so I suppose because we're far from uh, you know far from over it here in the states it's still it's still pretty crazy here my family obviously in Australia and they're 
you know, or go on to the beach. It's summer and uh, basically no cases. So it's it's polar opposites right now. But yeah, I I feel like I'm hoping that we're we're over the last of it, or the not the last of it, over the the, the worst part of it, and we're we're going to come out the other side of it in the next six to twelve months. I would hope so. Yes, it's pretty crazy to think about how like I finished my yoga teacher training the weekend before everything like took off so I like never got an opportunity to like really teach in studios and then I was just working all the time and like my birthday trip actually to come to uh, Vancouver Washington I had to cancel and everything it was just like wow um, this is a lot but I, I definitely think that now that everyone is like like really like fully accepting that this is how our lives are we can go back to some normalcy um soon uh like you said probably within the year but not anytime sooner than that totally so something you just brought up there right so you've gone through 200 hours of training and you know i'm sure prior to that during that you've got ideas of what you would like your yoga practice as a professional to look like and then two weeks before, you know, a global pandemic strikes, studios are obviously some of the hardest hit places in the world right now. Very hard to open up given the nature of breathing, sweating in a tight space. It doesn't really work with the, with the pandemic. How did you, how did you navigate that as a, as a new yoga instructor? not having had much experience in a studio setting before and now seeing where, where you're at, how did you, how did you go about deciding what you were going to do from there? Yeah. So I am 100% through and through an introvert. I love like one-on-one connections with people, um, but large groups are uh, terribly draining. And I mean, for, my examination like my practice like teaching that I had to do I only had to teach the four people but it was pretty intense like um, critiquing that was going on and it was a lot of I guess like a lot of stimulation from like other people who were also teaching at that time and for our exam so I will say it was kind of like a blessing in the skies that the pandemic happened because I was not looking forward to teaching to 40 people in a very small room in a very heated class um, to take in everyone's like <laughs> like the pressure of having to put on a class and feeling that pressure in person was is not something I um, enjoy and the pressure to um, do physical assists were something I wasn't um, to excited about doing like you know really helping someone into a posture I we were trained on how to do it and I know I can do it it's just something I was not looking forward to doing in classes so not having to teach in person was is has been very nice so now I just teach on zoom and sometimes my students they have their cameras on and sometimes they don't and it's totally fine I'm like talking to myself <laughs> I'm like almost giving myself a yoga class and you know and at the end they all just send me messages in the chat like thanks that was great loved it and that's that's it I can be at peace <laughs> with like my teaching um, a lot more now than I think I would have been had I had jumped straight into like teaching heated classes with like a fully packed room. Cool. And did you get any, did you need any help in, you know, starting that up online or was it just an intuitive thing? It was definitely an intuitive thing because I've done different workshops and I'm very, um, like verse in Zoom, everyone is very versed in Zoom at this point. It's almost like, yeah, like if people just want that and they like what what better way to take yoga honestly than doing it in the comfort of your home? Because that's how I started practicing yoga. I um started when I was fourteen years old watching YouTube videos in my bedroom and I just did yoga like that on my own. So I was just kind of like, wow, it's kind of nice to like give someone else that feeling that state on the comfortability of like 
not feeling nervous around everyone else and almost feeling like I'm talking directly to them um, through online classes. And I was very fortunate enough that UVA um, looked at my application and hired me to be a contemplative sciences instructor. So I got a lot of practice teaching regular classes um, for them in the fall. And now I'll be starting that up again in the spring. So beautiful. Yeah. Cool. That was, it was nice to learn a little bit about it. I do want to kind of rewind the clock a little bit uh, and, and learn a little bit more about your upbringing and, you know, where you're from and, and that kind of stuff. So where are you from Carrington? Where, where did you grow up and what was life kind of like for you uh, growing up in Virginia? So I am from Danville, Virginia. It's a very small Southwest rural town, like right on the border of North Carolina. Um, I grew up with my family. I have a younger brother. I always grew up with pet dogs and I grew up with my mother and we were very, very close knit. It's like always just the three of us and then our pets um, for all of my life pretty much. And we were very fortunate because <laughs> I like we lived in the country, but we I I don't know, like we just had a very unique experience. My mom always allowed us to be outside. And I was definitely the outdoorsy kid who like had encyclopedias on plants. And then I would go out there and catch bugs and put them in little containers and try to identify them. Um, always came home, got in trouble for having grass stains in my jeans because I would be playing too hard outside. Um, she put us in swimming lessons. So I always swam around and rode horses when I was young. And I did classical ballet as well. And so like I was very active and very in love with the country lifestyle. And we passed by farms all the time. So I loved farm animals, fully um, engaged with nature and animals my entire life and I went to private school I was there for 13 years and that definitely <laughs> shaped my understanding of how to like interact with people because it was an international school so I met people from all over the world there and they were very like everyone was very serious about their academic studies and it was quite competitive so it wasn't really that much different when I went to uh, the University of Virginia, like in terms of the culture, but yeah, like it was very, I guess, bubblish <laughs> versus then when I went to UVA, that was another bigger bubble. And then now that I'm in the real world as like a real adult, uh, I'm seeing like so much, but yeah, like uh, very, very close to the family and very, very country. That's awesome. Did your mom encourage you? to to get outdoors and did you go on trips together was was yeah. she kind of like a leader for you in in that sense yes absolutely she like was always willing to learn more for the sake of whatever we were interested in so if i said mom i am interested in butterflies she would go get a book and she would sit down with me and we would figure out butterflies together it did not matter she was going to cater to that and we took lots of road trips. We have taken road trips all the way up as far north as New York and as far south as Florida and as far west as Texas, like seeing all of the countryside and learning about those different things and biking um, and hiking together. There wasn't any hesitation about, oh, like, can I go outside? That was that that and I can't express like how grateful I am that she was like that <laughs> and like it is very evident to this day that like I do not like cities because I will always love being outside there is no better air than southern country air in my opinion for sure so now that you mention you know the southern aspect so I've kind of been intrigued by this since moving here that Virginia is considered, you know, Southern, right? And is this more of a cultural thing rather than a geographical thing? It's, is it more of a culture or I, I I've never really kind of got yeah. that. Cause when, when you get to Virginia, like the accent and the culture and we've driven through there, uh, yeah. it, it, it all changes from say like Pennsylvania and DC and 
the northern states uh, above above the Virginias. Yes, for sure. It's definitely cultural. I will say in Northern Virginia, those people, like, if you ask anyone from the rest of the state, Northern Virginia is, like, a whole different place. <laughs> like, those people are, like, give, like, New York vibes all and New Jersey vibes, like, all day. Like, D.C., all of that's completely different from the entire rest of the state. The entire rest of the state is very uh, Southern in every aspect. Like, having, you know, like, the classic stuff, like, I don't know, like corn mazes and whatnot. And like, everyone knows, like, we just always have bonfires and you, everyone knows somebody who makes moonshine and everything. That's just the culture for for sure. And it's very, um, there's country, there's redneck and <laughs> this old money of like, you know, like people whose families are like really like rich from like very long lineages and you can tell the difference um when you go into different towns and I know a lot of people are not very keen on coming to the south reasonably so we don't have a very good track record of being (laughs) like the safest place to be um especially if you're not white but (laughs) there is still little lovely pockets of charm all throughout uh, the South. And I definitely feel that in Virginia, um, it's a lot more positive and a lot safer to roam around throughout than the rest of the Southern states. Cool. Yeah. I, my experience in the Southern states is, you know, it's definitely like a slower paced lifestyle. Uh, but also the one thing that just stood above all else was the manners that people had, like, just really well mannered like people would you know a lot of like sir ma'am um (laughs) you know a lot of thank yous all that kind of stuff was just like second nature to them i just remember being in louisiana and we went to this pancake house and this lady was that served us was just she had like the coolest accent and just so polite like it was and when you compare it to places that you were talking about before you know like New York, Boston, DC, I suppose those people aren't normally known for their manners. Like it's very, very fast paced, head down, get your business done uh, kind of places. And the other thing that comes to mind is the food. So known for, you know, the, the soul food and the comfort food, what was what was it like growing up with that? Was this a typical thing for you growing up? First of all, I don't want to generalize, but was it a typical thing for you? Uh, and yeah, what was your kind of experience with food growing up? Oh, uh, you don't leave the table until all of your food is gone. <laughs> like you have to clean your plate. That is the energy of like when you come to sit down. So you eat whatever is given to you. It doesn't matter if you like it, you must eat it. Um, and there is no food waste. Um, and all like leftovers that also gets eaten and everything is used fully. So we ate a lot. And I <laughs> like I did like <laughs> it's really funny telling people I was like, Yeah, I ate meat like three times a day because I was very like second nature to do, like have bacon in the morning, have like a turkey sandwich for lunch, and then like have like a steak for dinner and that was just how we were and there was no question about that and and you know now like now that I'm older I did not know what mayo really was made of and like how many things had mayo but like (laughs) like looking back on like chicken salad sandwiches and like potato salad and everything I didn't really put two and two together a lot just like cups of mayonnaise (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, like did not know and would go pick eggs right from the chicken hens, um, chicken coops and everything. And I mean, like I've totally seen um, like fish and pigs and stuff like um, being butchered down and everything. Cause that's just what the culture is. There's nothing else about it is a hundred percent what it looks like on TV. <laughs> what you read, people are eating soul food every single day in some way and that is exactly how my family and I grew up I used to eat all kinds of things like uh, I, I loved fried chicken gizzards which is like um like for those of you who don't know what gizzards are it's like the like the vocal cords kind of of chicken um would eat 
we would eat steak every single week. Um, but my mom would bake it, so it was like very soft. And then I, I then I, I wasn't too keen on milk because it, it never really sat well with me. Um, but I did really enjoy eating macaroni and cheese. And there's like a, a good debate in the South about like proper macaroni and cheese. Um, so yeah, like I just ate it all. I was not hesitant to try anything. And so I was, since I was always an adventure eater, like you could give me a live octopus and I was eating it um, at the sushi restaurants and stuff like that. Um, when I became vegan, it was not very hard at all to just also be adventurous with eating like that. That's how I grew up. So at what point did, I suppose, at what point did you start thinking about food differently? Like how did it, how did it transition for you? And at what time of, of your life did that start to, to change? So yes, my mom, <laughs> I was always like super aware, like even at like five years old about like what I'm eating, like making sure I'm getting like, I loved eating fruits and vegetables. And so I was like very into eating them, like aggressively eating raw vegetables and aggressively eating strawberries. Um, but when it was, I was about like 14. <laughs> oh, this is so crazy. So I used to have a tumbler, right? And if you're too young to know what tumbler is, not you, but like anyone listening, like, oh gosh. So I used to have a tumbler. And I distinctly remember one day, I came across this post that said, like, all the links to documentaries and videos that you need to watch if you wanted to go vegan or vegetarian. And I was like, okay. One day in the summer, I just watched all of them. And I was horrified. <laughs> I was like, I cannot. I have got to figure this one out. Um, because when I was eight, I tried to go vegetarian, but that didn't work, right? When I was 14, I was like, these videos are making it very clear to me that I need to make an effort. It wasn't until I was 15. I went to study abroad in Italy, and I like ate whatever, and I came back. And for whatever reason, I just like couldn't eat the same foods anymore in the States. And... Everything was starting to bother me, and when I was 15, yeah, like, I stopped eating red meat. Like, I just could not stomach it. I was like, that's not for me, and then when I was 17, I had a really bad allergic reaction to dairy in the dining hall in college, and I was like, okay, I have to let that one go. I got food poisoned twice from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> twice and I was like almost in the hospital it was so bad and I was like okay no more chicken for me and that was really hard because like when especially in the black community especially in the south when you say you don't like chicken anymore that is like what and then I had to let go of pork like a year later because I had found out that like I found out some really bad stuff about pork and I was like, I really can't do pork anymore. And then that really bothered my family because it was like, wow, you're not going to eat anything at the cookout anymore. You're not going to have hot dogs with us. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and they like, they weren't rude. They were just kind of like, I don't understand how you can just let that go all of a sudden, but it wasn't just, just did not feel good in my body. So, like, from 15 to 20, I was, like, super, like, 14, 15 to 20, I was, like, super aware. I have to stop eating these things, and it took me a long time to figure out how to let them go. But, yeah, Tumblr. Tumblr really did it for me. <laughs> That's funny. I was I was never really, like, a big Tumblr user, but um, it's funny that that's – I think you're the first person that's said to me that that's where you got the information that kind of kick-started it all for you. So, I mean, that was like a, that's a long kind of, you know, winding road of, of figuring it all out. So did you get to go to Italy as a, as a high school student? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Where in Italy were you? I was in the Northern part. I lived in Bustartitio. Um, I went to school at ITC Tosi and I stayed with my little like Italian sister, um, Chiara, and she came to stay with me in the fall and I went to stay with her in the spring and it was great. I loved everything about it. Uh, my second language um, is Spanish because in private school they make you take a second language. Um, so when I went to Italy, Spanish Italian are 
pretty similar. It was very easy for me to learn Italian. And I was all of my friends translator. <laughs> but I absolutely loved everything about it. And if you think the South was slow paced, something about Italy, everything was slower and it was amazing. And I um I thrive on just, you know, thoroughly enjoying the moment for as long as you possibly can. And that is what Italy gave me. That's what living in the country gives me. Um a hundred percent. That's really cool. That's yeah. I mean Italy I've only got to experience little parts of it, but that's that's awesome to hear. I feel like they're kind of the kings of community as well with the mm-hmm. way they eat and the, the way they share and all that. You know, the, I think of like the long kind of table where people sit around a table and, uh, and share food. Uh, that's really nice. So in that six, five years, six years stretch of, of figuring it all out, it sounds to me that it was, it was more health focused. And has it it changed much? And was there like a point? Was there a line in the sand where you were just like, all right, I've I've got to do this? Or was it just it it continued to transition to where you were at a point where you're like, all right, now I'm where I'd like to be? You know, what was it? What was that like? Yeah. So I will say if I had to rank the reasons why I committed to going vegan, it was um, ethics for like everyone involved and then it was health because it really bothered me to my core that there was so much cruelty and suffering happening and I'm like a big softy um my my family says like I'm like the softest person and it, it doesn't take much for me to be disturbed by anyone being harmful and so it bothered me a lot to see that we were destroying the earth the earth I like playing around in, the earth I like wear, walking barefoot on, I was like, we are destroying the earth and we have nowhere else to go. That's that's bad. I don't like that. Number two, these poor animals, like, I love all animals. And I've seen all these, like, I ask people all the time, have you ever seen a cow in real life? And a lot of people haven't. And so I think that that lack of connection helps people, like, you know, stay disconnected. But, like, I just could not understand, like, why these animals who just wouldn't even be doing anything if you just left them in the wild, why we were doing this to them. And it was bothering me. And then seeing the workers, I was like, there is no way that these workers are enjoying themselves. And there's no way that anyone who's suffering from metabolic diseases caused by a diet that was heavy in animal products or like living a good life. And like, I, I just felt like it was ethically and morally just wrong. And then the second thing was health, of course, but I could not, I don't know what was happening. I could not stomach eating animal products as I finished up puberty, essentially. But my mental health, like has just not been like, it's top tier, right? Just had to, since like middle school, foolish on like yeah I had to like work on a lot of things with like depression anxiety and I learned in college that not for taking classes I just like I do a lot of self-inquiry work that the eating animal products was making me very fatigued and sluggish and then that was making me not want to be productive in my studies which then meant I was making bad grades and then beating myself up about it. And I was creating a horrible, vicious cycle that was um, not helping in any way my mental health. So I realized that if I took those things out, then I stood a better chance at being more stable. Coupled by like going to therapy and everything, I was like, this, my diet is making me worse. And that was 110% true. Um, So yeah, those were like... Those are those reasons for sure. Now I'm just kind of like so deep into veganism. I don't really think about the reasons as much. It's all very second nature. Um, I got to be that way after being vegan for two years. Um, I'm coming up on five years now. Um, it is it is nothing to me to just be this way. That's cool. It's really cool. Um, you know, I love to, love to hear that 
it is second nature to you now. And now that you are five years into, into it, what is the, the family interaction like now? Cause as you said, like going to a cookout where it's animal product focused and very meat heavy, uh, where there's a lack of understanding there. Cause obviously this is, this is culture. This is what everyone has done for, for decades upon decades. So I can imagine that when, when their daughter or their, you know, or their niece, what, you know, whoever it might be related to you going, you know, what's, what's Carrington up to? What's this all about? What's it like now? Um, everyone has a great deal of respect for me now. I think, like, I think they thought I was, like, almost like, you know, everyone had their little emo phase in middle school. I think they thought I was going through a little vegan phase <laughs> for, like, the first year or two. Um, <laughs> but now they're, like, fully respectful about it and they're fully accommodating. And when I come home, they, like, go to the store specifically right before I come home and buy things like almond milk for me and go get me Beyond Meat. Um, when they come to visit me, they are fully aware they're only eating vegan food because I'm cooking. Um, if we go out to eat, they can eat whatever. I have no say-so. I do not really care. They're their own people. Um, but they are very much so like, is there a vegan option for you? And I love that because... It makes me feel so much less stressed to hang out with people when my all my friends or family are like, you can pick the restaurant because we want you to be able to eat something more than just a baked potato. And that that is all the support I really need. <laughs> but my family has been a lot more aware of their own diet and slowly been taking things out. And they um, ask me all the time for suggestions and they just... Yeah, they're super uh, respectful and supportive of it. And they know this is just how this is going to be for the rest of my life. And they're also not at all surprised that I turned out this way. They said that they probably could have guessed it um, by how I felt um, about living things in general. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, as a kid growing up, being so you know, in contact with nature and being a part of it by getting out there and experiencing it and loving animals and uh, being very aware of what you're eating. Like even, even at a young age, you mentioned that seeing animals being slaughtered and uh, that's an experience that many of us don't get to have. And because of that, we're very disconnected, disconnected from our food uh, it's almost as if the the intense connection to that has you know kind of brought you full circle and and pushed you away from it at the same time. So it's yeah, it's it's really cool to hear that kind of evolution of of your life and uh, your connection to food and the and the outdoors and nature. I was going to tie it in there with I, I work in the outdoor industry now, and to see the amount of people that love the outdoors care, want to care for the environment, love the environment, uh, want the environment that we have, you know, have been blessed to kind of enjoy up until this point, they want it to be sustained and be able, be able to share it with, you know, their children or uh, their nieces, nephews, whoever it might be in the future but still having such a, I suppose, lack of connection to uh, our food choices and the detrimental impacts it has on the environment. I see it so often and I am, I'm still surprised by it because uh, it's, it is so front of mind now, you know, no matter where we're looking, there's documentaries out there. Uh, there's, advocates for the environment and food choices in our social media feeds yet they're not really making that connection and and diving i'm not asking people to become vegan overnight i don't think i'm really even asking them to become fully vegan but to to dive into it a little bit to see if you know they can make some better food choices uh, for the sake of that environment that they're living in yeah what has 
I suppose your experience being like now with nature? I know that I know that you love it. You love getting out there. What are some of your favorite things to do uh, out there? And yeah, what do you want to be able to kind of pass down to future generations? Yeah, so I completely agree with what you're saying. I try not to like, social social media, I try not to say very polarizing, you know, like opinions, right? But deep down in my core, and I'll say it on this podcast because I don't really mind. I do not believe that you can tell me that you fully love the environment and nature um, and all that it has to offer and continue to live a lifestyle where you are also destroying it. You can't, I just can't see how you can compartmentalize those, those two things. Um, so I do my best to advocate to people, like, if you love hiking <laughs> and you want these trails to look good, I would 110% recommend that you, like, maybe volunteer or, like, donate money to the park service so that they can keep it clean. Or, and also, like, hey, be aware, like, maybe you should stop eating so much red meat because it's like really affecting like like just like everything that contributes to like I like us enjoying our hikes from things like you know if we're using a lot of water for animal products in particular it's causing droughts which are causing wildfires and you can't go hike your favorite hike anymore because it's been burned down I think you should make that connection um first and foremost, so that you can actually make an impact in preserving your favorite things. But I love, outside of advocating <laughs> for that, um, I love hiking. I love leading hikes for people, um, especially people who have never hiked a day in their life and they're like hyperventilating up the hill. That tickles me pink. Um, I love kayaking and swimming because I will definitely hop out of a kayak if I feel like it and just go swim in a lake and get right back in and get back to shore. My current new love is foraging. Um, I love foraging for anything. Um, I, I will forage for some herbs so I can br- come bring them home and make peace. Uh, but I definitely love foraging mushrooms because mushrooms have taught me far more than anything else I feel like in life has taught me uh, especially about respecting um, natural cycles I love noticing full circles like that full loops and mushrooms are absolutely wild and uh, I, I could I, I could go on and on <laughs> about them um, you're a, I you're won't, a my, I mycelium nerd Yes, for sure. I and I've only gotten into it in the last six months, but like I can probably confidently take people out now and like start just like being that nerd that like points out like, oh, that's Omnita. Oh, that right there, that one is gonna shrivel up in probably like two hours and turn into ink. And like that to me is so exciting. It's so much fun. There is nothing like um, going on a hike stumbling upon what you can pluck off a tree and cook for dinner later. That makes me love nature so much more because it is forever giving in the most random of ways. And like mushrooms are such a gift. They are incredible. Uh, It's when you, I suppose I haven't, I haven't gone deep into, into the world of mushrooms, but I have listened to a couple of podcasts with Paul Stamets. Mm Mm-hmm. And to hear that guy speak about mushrooms and his passion for, for mushrooms is, it's just insane. Like the, the knowledge he has and the facts that he can just, you know, spit out on the spot, it just blows you away about, about how much of the earth is, is covered by, by fungus. Yeah. It's, it's wild, but we, we, we had our first experience with foraging. We went with Chris and Jasmine actually yeah. uh, last year and it was, yeah, it's a really cool experience. I think the, the thing I liked about it the most is like when you're out hiking or running or kayaking, whatever it might be, yeah, you're enjoying like the, you know, like the, how would I explain that? You're just, you're enjoying the outdoors 
on a pretty broad spectrum. It's, it's just nice to be out there to hear the water, hear the trees, feel the wind. But when you're foraging for mushrooms, you are seeing everything from such a different perspective. It's just so, so granular. You might yeah. only cover, you know, a, you might cover a really small distance in miles, but the, the amount of earth that you're looking at with your eyes and paying attention uh, to what's below is kind of mind blowing. And the things you see are just things you would miss on a, on a regular day. So I think from my one experience, that was my takeaway was just like, it's a totally new perspective of potentially the same places that you might've gone before. Yes. I think that you should, go foraging some more (laughs) because you live in like one of the best places for foraging. It is, it it pains me how easy it is to find mushrooms in the Pacific Northwest. Like it 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 really does because it's just so stunning. I like, I'm in all these like Facebook groups and I look at all these people and they like bringing home like 25 pounds of mushrooms. I'm like, I can't, I would have a heart attack if I found that many mushrooms in one day. Um, yeah, I don't, honestly, I have no idea. But the little, uh, I've only foraged like, I guess like a very novice amount, but I found some really cool ones. And I have a list that I've already made for this year of ones that I am hoping to seek out some edible, some not edible, just so that I can like, say like I've gotten to see them in person I'm getting a little Polaroid camera soon so I can like take these cute little vintage pictures of mushrooms that I find but it is so cool Paul Stamens is absolutely wild he is wildly knowledgeable and I hope in like 40 years from now I'm like that I really hope everyone knows me as like the mushroom girl because (laughs) I just love it and we're like can't forge right now because um it's just too cold right uh but we are growing our own mushrooms um indoors we have this very lovely humidity tent that we've created and north spore is super sweet and like we and they have the best products like this isn't sponsored and you can cut this part out if you like but like no, i know i've i've seen i was gonna bring it up i mean i've seen you uh, on Instagram with the with the mushroom grow kits. So what I liked about it was, in the past I've only seen oyster mushrooms in in grow kits, but not on. You've kind of got different types of oyster mushrooms. But I'll let you go on. Uh, it, yeah. it it is cool. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, I really love the grow kits because I uh, like. Of course, I really love houseplants, right? But, like, houseplants, I mean, like, some of them grow fast. But, like, there is nothing like watching a mushroom grow. Usually, like, it's, like, three days, nothing. And then, like, the next day, something. And then the next day, it's, like, doubled in size. And it just keeps doubling and doubling. And then you got to eat it because as soon as it gets to this full peak point, it's almost like an avocado. There's, like, a peak point. <laughs> and then it just starts reverting back and dying. It is so cool. And they are so delicious and they make it easy. And what we've decided, like I started with the grow kits and now I've decided, oh, I'm going to go a step back from, from that. So we started with, we built what is basically our own grow kit. We took the, the grain spawn and the substrate and put it in jars and containers and stuff. And now we're creating our own mycelium little blocks and going to be flushing out some lovely mushrooms soon it's really cool and I hope that when I one day have a house I'll get some fun little logs and you can um, put the mushrooms on the logs to have them grow and you can grow all kinds I will say not all mushrooms that you find out in the wild can you cultivate them at home it's interesting like chanterelles I think those are the ones that you all found those are my absolute favorite mushrooms, but they, there's no absolute, there is like no way as far as I know, but like, but people want to do this. Can you cultivate them on your own, like on a farm? This is not possible. Um, so those are like always going to be wild. And I think that's great. Cause that's like, it's like, I don't know. It's a special type of um, excitement to that. Right. But then there's like the oyster mushrooms. Anyone can grow them at home. And that's really fun. Uh, yeah. Totally it is. 
yeah, it's it's mushroom growth is superior to houseplant growth, but houseplants are cool too. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely the the queen of houseplant growth. There's uh there's no you you have places like a jungle, so <laughs> yes. it's uh and not just any jungle, you know, well cared for, healthy, thriving plants. You know, these they're they're all looking really good. Uh, before we leave mushrooms, I kind of want to find out what mushrooms you've managed to find in the wild uh, and what mushrooms that you really enjoy cooking or like the the mushroom that you enjoy cooking the most. Yeah, so I have found um, for edible ones, I found chanterelles, oysters, lion's mane. And I had a friend who found some chicken of the woods and he gave it to us like, like two pounds of chicken of the woods and it was crazy um and then not edible ones I have seen the classic toadstool one the red with the white speckles Amanita muscaria um I have seen (laughs) destroying angel which is a different type of Amanita that's like incredibly poisonous uh (laughs) I looked at it I was like wow you are very cute for something that will kill anything um and what else i saw the coral the the coral yes the coral mushrooms those are so cool those are edible (laughs) yeah tell us a fun fact about the coral mushroom please yeah so the the coral mushrooms they're they literally look like coral reefs from like the sea but they just grow out of the ground and they come in all colors like i've seen them white and pink and yellow so you can eat those, but they could make they're they they kind of have a laxative property to some people. Well, most people. So I would be very wary. I would try it because I think all mushrooms that you know for a fact are edible are worth trying in small quantities because you have no idea what it'll do to your tummy. Oh, also I found honey mushrooms. Ten out of ten would not recommend those because they were not exciting in flavor. <laughs> Got you. They, they they grow abundantly. Just leave them for the deer to eat. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely I've heard. Yeah, there's some mushrooms that are edible, but not really worth taking home and cooking because of that. They're not like flavorful. Um, yeah. If if anyone does get the chance to forage for chanterelles, I'd highly recommend it. They're delicious, uh, and I suppose it's worth kind of doing your research on what they look like, what to look for. Cause there are false tr- chanterelles, which I think are edible. Is that true? Mm-hmm. The false chanterelles are edible, but there's when we were out there, there's also some ones out there that look similar. And I think when you're out there as well, you want to find them so bad that you start second guessing yourself on like, is that one? Is that not one? And the ones we were finding had kind of like green color in the gills. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, we were obviously letting them go. But yeah, having some kind of knowledge, we brought photos with us. If you have a book, bring it with you because I think it's, it's wise to do that. Yes, I have a book called um, What the Rain Promises and More by David Aurora. And that book is wild. It's like, it's really funny book because you all will know when you see it. And it's like a man in a tuxedo carrying a mushroom and a trombone. And it looks like he's like running away. It's hilarious. And all the pictures on the inside are just that chaotic. Um, but they have vivid color photos of so many mushrooms. All the identifiers, like from the gills to the stems to the the sizing of them all, and if they're edible or not. If you really want to get into foraging, you buy that book for sure, and you take that with you, and you look like uh, like such like a student just like squatted over a patch of mushrooms <laughs> opening up your book. It will make all the difference for sure. Well, I. I'm pretty keen for you to get out this way. I think it'd be cool to go on a, a foraging kind of trip when you're, when you're here. So hopefully, hopefully 2021 allows you to come out to the West coast. That would be, that would be really cool. Uh, and before you go, there's definitely one more topic that I would really like to, to touch on. Uh, we've kind we've 
you know, we've spoken about getting in the outdoors. We've spoken about yoga, veganism, and, you know, being, being in the black community. One thing that is abundantly obvious is the lack of representation of black folks in all of those spaces, not just one of them. You're kind of out there doing all those things without it sound. And you sound so free in, in, in doing them, which is awesome. I really, really love it. How has that been? And since it started from such a young age in terms of your relationship with getting outside, uh, it's evolved into yoga. It's evolved into, um, to outdoor activities how was it growing up you know when you when you look at say outside magazine and the cover of outside magazine has some white dude climbing on it or you know the tv shows of action sports or hiking it's just it's a bunch of white folks like growing up what was that like for you because it's yeah it's something that i didn't have to grow up with or, or think about but it's certainly something that's something that we need to be aware of and something that we need to to chat about because a lot of people still don't understand what this is like the the un, like not having the representation and not and not seeing yourself uh in those people that are on tv or you know are out on the hiking trails so what was that like for you yeah, so it was definitely um, it was definitely hard because I really wanted to see people like me. I've always wanted, and I still do seek out um, to some extent a mentor who <laughs> looks like me, has like some similar background as me, and is interested in the same things and could give me advice for that. And yeah, like I just did not have that at all. Um, but I will say that I was raised not to not want to go for something just because I didn't see myself in that space. I was very often um, the only black person in any space, like so many spaces in my ballet class, in my classrooms and private schools, like the only black person in the whole grade. Um, when I went on my trip to Italy, I was the only black person um, going on that trip and it was just like that it always has been that way for me especially from where I grew up and I've it is a it's a, it's a bit lonely I'm not gonna lie about that uh, because I want to have people who are like me to hang out with and to gush with about um those topics and and like as as you know like there's very types of vegans right <laughs> within the vegan community but like I would like to meet other vegans who I guess are a little bit more relaxed like me, but also from the South and who are just kind of like enjoying life and um, not trying to, let's say, all be uh, cookbook creators. I mean, nothing's wrong with that, but like there's like some, you know, different types of vegans. And I would like to meet other Black vegans like that. I would like to not always have to be the person who gets, and I did this at UVA, I led a hike for a whole bunch of black students and a whole bunch of vegan students because I was uh, in executive positions in both clubs. So I said, I'm not going to do two different hikes. I'm going to put them both together and everyone was going to mix and chat with each other. So on that hike, everyone got very well acquainted about black issues and about veganism all together. And they all really enjoyed it. And we had vegan pizza afterwards and it was a great experience. But I don't want to always have to be the only person who brings that to the table. So I will say that because I didn't have a lot of representation, I took it upon myself to say, I guess I'm gonna have to be that. I don't wanna be the spokesperson for my people. That's not at all. I want there to be countless numbers of people like me, but there have been a lot of limitations culturally um, where people say that's a white person thing I remember I was like snacking on blueberries and someone said to me you eat it you always eat weird white people food like blueberries and I was like it's a blueberry I don't really understand why you're so like offended of me eating a blueberry 
Um, or like some people say, like, I don't want to go hiking because I, I, this feels very dirty to be outside like that. And I don't like feeling dirty. Um, because like, that's just well, how they've been raised and associated. Um, but it, it also the natural fear of like, I'm afraid to be in the woods. And I know that there's a lot of white people on the trail and they could maybe say or do something to me. That's very realistic fear as well to not want to do that. Um, but I know that I can do whatever I want. And I know that I will do my best to always protect myself and to be an advocate um, because if I don't do it, I don't know who else is going to. And that really bothers me because we just don't have enough people doing it for sure. Yeah, it's 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 deeply rooted in, I suppose, in memory, in culture, in learning from a young age, not just our generation. It's it's decades and decades of learnings from black folks in this country in other countries and it might like i can't talk on behalf but from what you said the the feeling of just possibly not being welcome in a space can be a deterrent not having friends in a space could be a deterrent not having access to trails could be something that puts you off not having the money to access the gear to get on the trails to put you off um there's just so many roadblocks and hurdles Mm -hmm. to get past and that bothers me too it really it really bothers me and something you said earlier in the episode was swimming lessons something as it might seem small to us but there's a lot of like the majority from what i understand the majority of black kids growing up don't learn how to swim Mm -mm. so for them to go kayaking or get in the water do a water sport that's going to be petrifying that's going to be something that would you know scare the crap out of anyone if you don't have Uh, the skills to go out and do that and i think it's on on us as white people that have been so you know lucky growing up to this is just something we didn't have to think about we didn't have to think about these roadblocks it's on us to help out when you're saying before about you don't want to be that person every damn time to get a group of kids together and go out and do this. I think we need to bear uh, this on, it needs to be on us to help out. Uh, and it's, it's the reason I really wanted to bring up that topic because I do think it's so important. And I love seeing on Instagram, the, the outdoor accounts that are getting thrown out there and, um, and people supporting them and getting around them and sharing them and embracing them. Uh, I, I have enjoyed that about 2020. I'll be honest. Uh, from all the, the rough stuff that we've, we've watched and endured through 2020 in this country, you know, that is one of the things that I have really enjoyed. So uh, I hope it continues to grow and I hope we continue to embrace it and, and get around it. And, and help yeah. people out. Yeah, for sure. I think that it is it's kind of like um you have to be very particular about how you want to approach um certain issues, right? So I think to myself, if I wanted to lead a monthly hike, right? And I wanted to get 10 people from whatever uh, various backgrounds, but specifically they have to be at the very least African-American, right? I say to myself, oh, Matt, um, I need gear. I need supplies. I need, like, snacks and stuff like that. What kind of funding can I get to be able to do that on a monthly basis? Knowing that you have more resources than I do and tapping into that, I can afford these people an experience that could be the catalyst for them to keep wanting to do this. That type of collaboration, I think, um, super necessary for people because like you said 
not a lot of representation, so we need that, but there's also not a lot of resources. So we have to really be aware of like all the intersectionality that you have to consider to bringing more people of color to the outdoors, especially different bodies, especially different mindsets. Because I can say all day and night that being out in nature and eating only from the earth has like saved my life. Right? I can say that because that's true. Because looking up at the moon at night gives me joy. Being able to feel my feet sink into the sand on the ocean shore when the water comes in gives me joy and gives me purpose in wanting to stay here. Being able to pluck a mushroom and eat it when I get home and feel good about what I'm eating, I can say that all day and night. But if people just don't have the resources to be able to do that, it it's um it's just for my own benefit. It's not uh, enough for social change. So we have to really collaborate hard, <laughs> really hard to bring these resources to people. Not 100%. And if there's anyone out there, I suppose, and without a doubt, there is people out there. But uh, if you are listening to this conversation, what, like, where, where can we start? Where can we start? I know Anna here, my partner, she has just recently reached out to uh, a place on the corner where they, uh, they help kids um, with, it, I think it used to be kind of like an after school care kind of thing, but because of COVID now and school shutting, it's now a place where about five to six or something like that. I think it's about six kids can go there during the school day and do their online teaching together rather than sitting at home on their own. Anyway, she found out about it, reached out and wanted to volunteer and said, Hey, can I host some walks or runs or like a walk run? Cause I'd love to get more kids of color into, into the running world, into the outdoor kind of world. And the woman there loved it. And I was going to say, is that maybe the direction we should be going in is like turn to your own community first. Mm-hmm. And yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. There is so much in your own hometown that needs to be helped. Um, and it's great to like help uh, with big organizations and big causes and stuff like that. But there is something extra special about giving back to your own direct community and something special about when you walk into a grocery store and somebody recognizes you and they're like, oh, I remember you did this like event and I loved it. Thank you so much for that. That is an unmatched feeling. And I think helping your community is the best way to do that. I think little things like, let's say, like there's a local running shop um, in your town uh, that you go get um, like your shoes from. If you said to yourself, oh, I'm going to maybe sponsor somebody by saying like, I'm giving you the store, the running shop, $200. This is for somebody who needs running shoes, who is a person of color, um, but cannot afford them, but really wants to get into running. And then just like do like that. And so then, like, the next kid that comes in or, uh, can have that um, as an option. Um, I think that little gifts like that will really make a difference and chip away <laughs> um, a lot faster um, than just do, like, big programs um, kind of deal. And I think mm-hmm. that, honestly, is bestseller. Yeah, I like that. It doesn't have to be some grand gesture. It mm-hmm. can be just one person that you're helping out uh it might it might go a long way as you said it might lead them back to come back to the outdoors to running to whatever it might be but it might lead them back and and give them a life that's full of adventure which is uh something that i think we all could do with more of uh, in our in our life well i i think that could be a great place to kind of wrap up the conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed meeting you and chatting with you and I really appreciate you coming on and I hope that we get to meet in person. It's always nice to 
to meet in person. So I hope that day comes in 2021. Is there anything else that you'd, I, I'm sure we could do round two again as well. I'm sure there's other topics that we've missed that we could chat about, but um, is there anything else you'd like to cover before we kind of wrap it up? No, I just, uh, yeah, I would love to meet you in person this year. Cause that will be a sign that I finally got the courage to get on an airplane again <laughs> um, and decided for to take my life into my own hands again and not be afraid to get back out there. And I think that that will be a really good sign for me <laughs> that I will be able to be like, hey, I met this amazing person who interviewed me in person finally this year. And that also means that I am thoroughly enjoying myself on the West Coast um, and <laughs> not being great. So uh, I think this has been so much fun. I love talking about the outdoors and I do not get to do it enough. And it's very cathartic, to say the least, to do this. So thank you so, so, so much. I'm very grateful for this opportunity. Thank you again for coming on. And yeah, I can't wait to to get this one live. And I think, yeah, I think for me, this has been also to be totally honest, it's been, it's been really nice because I haven't had the continuity that I would have liked. And it, it did get to the point where I was a little fearful of, of getting back into podcasting. It's something I enjoyed so, so much for 70 plus episodes, but the every week you don't put something out there this little nugget of fear and, you know, it just kind of eats away at you. So yeah, thank you for being such a, uh, a patient guest and yeah, for coming on the show and, and being patient with me and organizing this one. So I, yeah, really do appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Carrington. You're welcome. Don't be so hard on yourself. You're very gifted <laughs> at what you do. Um, like who, who else will be able to interview like that guide conversations this effortlessly and to put it out there to touch people's hearts um, without, you know, having to physically be there. That's very special. And please don't forget that. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, I, I hope, I hope 2021 is a, a good one and I can, uh, I can give you a few more episodes to listen to over there to, to kind of binge on. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's stay in touch and yeah, please shout out if you are, if you're going to be over here in, in 2021. I'll do. Beautiful. Well, thanks very much. And uh, can't wait to, to see you again on the show. Yes. Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap guys. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carrington. She's an incredible leader. Uh, the vegan outdoor and yoga spaces are so much better with her in it. Uh, as she mentioned, the representation of black folks in these arenas is so small and it gets lonely out there. So we need to help uh, Carrington as you know she doesn't want to have to be the leader all of the time. We need to get into our own communities, uh, build strong, local, diverse communities. That's going to provide us with a good foundation to move forward into the future. If you do have any stories about local community projects that help people of color have access to the outdoors or any other practice, please reach out to me on Instagram. I'd love to hear about it. You can find me over at VegTalk. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. Next week, we chat with my good mate, Adam Sud of Plant-Based Addict. You do not want to miss this episode. So I'll see you all then. Have a great week. Keep it plant-based.